Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. Every year at Barton Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two-week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. I heard you got stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that? You know, he used to be a student, right? Yeah, that's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on us. Oh. I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. Stifle it, Tully. You just earned yourself a detention, sir. Being here with you is already one big detention. Son of a bitch, that's another detention. Do you think I want to be babysitting you? No, I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer. My father's to take you dead. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you? There's nobody here, okay? You stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of yours. Let me sleep. In the now, most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers, too. You know that, right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. I don't think I've ever had a real family Christmas like this before. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. History is not simply the study of the past, it is an explanation of the present. See, when you say it that way and throw in some pornography, it's a lot easier to understand. <laughs> I'd like to propose a toast to my two unlikely companions. Are you trying to lift down my shirt? No. <laughs> yes. You're going to get me fired. This is your Rubicon. Do not cross the Rubicon. The Holdovers. Hello and welcome to the Super 70 Podcast. Episode 34.3, The Holdovers Holiday Special. Alexander Payne has not made a single film that I have liked until I went to see The Holdovers for Tightwad Tuesday. Masked by the period piece setting, the story is more about how broken people find peace than its outward image as a Christmas film. Teaming up with Paul Giamatti and using David Hemmingson's first trip for the big screen, Payne avoids the rom-com holiday fair by pitting the veteran Giamatti's cantankerous private school professor against first-time actor Dominic Caesar, an actor literally from the drama class that the school used as a set. Balancing the two is Divine Joy Randolph, an inspired casting decision who turns in a revelatory performance. Join my son Luke and I as we discuss this surprising holiday hit that has a chance to become a drama to come back every December. holiday Christmas special, whatever that is. The Holdovers. I saw it for Taiwa Tuesday a few weeks ago with uh, the wife and told you you need to go see it. And you went and took your grandmother 
Yes. I paid for the tickets just to get you to go. Even though you were not enthused about seeing this movie. No, it wasn't on the top of my list. But you went and saw it. Yeah. And what? Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. It was really well written. And, uh, you know, Paul Giamatti carries. Uh, I want to know what your thoughts are. I don't know how to start a conversation on this one because it's so different. Seems to me what initially attracted me to it, of course, was that the the trailer had a very specific seventies type of style in which yes. it was very, it was going to go back and dip from the well. And anytime I see that in a movie, I'm in. I just immediately think that is a movie for me, just because um, I was born in the seventies. I remember the seventies. I'm I am raised mainly on on eighties movies, but of course there was that huge carryover from when I grew up. I'm familiar with seventies movies. And it just seemed like home. And the film, to me, seemed like I, I remember those hallways. I remember those types of that, – that architecture, those types of bars. The entire Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, is – I cannot tell you how many countless bars I've been in. I used to have a bar mirror that said the champagne of beers on it. So to me, that was, that was all very familiar and I liked, for example, not seeing cell phones, not seeing laptops, seeing the sort of pre-computer analog type of world that I that I remember that I'm I'm I won't say that I'm nostalgic for because I will never give up my iPhone. <laughs> I will never give up the conveniences that that we have after the the starburst of the microprocessor. But I was very eager to see something that was familiar to me that I was not used to being around for, for such a long time. But that that was basically it. I, I knew that Alexander Payne was going to go back to, you know, the 70s type of filmmaking. And that was that was very uh, appeasing to me. But what about you? Uh, about the aesthetic? Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm not – I don't remember the 70s because I wasn't there. Um, but you know, all the movies that I have seen that are from that period, like uh, – like, what was that, a Long Good Friday? London. Good Friday. Not just any Good Friday, but the Long Good Friday. Outside of church? You don't got crucifying people outside of church, not on Good Friday. Harold Shand, undisputed king of London's underworld. Now he's setting up the biggest business deal of his career. Hands across the ocean, right? To the future. Someone is out to stop him. You think of anybody who might have an old score to settle us? Who's big enough to take you on? Someone, somewhere, knows. Right? I want the man who knows. Right. Who fancies what? Auto, casino, stabbing, a bar blowing up. What is this, a gang war? No, no question. Harold and I have no doubt that by tomorrow the problem will be settled. Walk to the car, Billy, or I'll blow your spine off. It's not a shooter, is it, Harold? Oh, don't be silly, Billy. When I come hunting for you with me fingers... I've treated you lot well, even when you was out of order, right? Well, now there's been an eruption! One of my closest friends... He's lying out there in the freezer. And believe me, all of you, nobody goes home until I find out who done it. What should have been the greatest day of Harold's life suddenly becomes the longest. 
Suddenly, he's fighting for survival. You kill him! We got gang warnings, right? We already have! Colin's been carved up, and I've got a bomb in me casino, and you say nothing unusual. The Long Good Friday. A terrifying nightmare from which there is no escape. The Long Good Friday. That is that, that's what I always think about when I think of uh, 70s movies. Chinatown. or But even though that takes place in the, in the 20s the 30s, or something. It's yeah. in the 30s. But it's still shot like a 70s movie. I don't know. The, the one that also really does come to mind when I think of uh, the aesthetic of this movie is Joker. Because a lot of that looked like, I hope it looked like the seventies. Did that movie look like? Because there's VCRs and and all that, and it opened with the Warner Brothers logo from the seventies with the two lines and the dot, and you know that the similar opener for for this one too. It was very very uh, simple. Retro. Retro. Yeah. No, Joker was. Uh, Dave said that the Joker was the remake of Taxi Driver. Um, I heard it was a remake of uh, King of Comedy. Well, I haven't seen King of Comedy in 30 I hear years. it's amazing. I hear yeah. it's amazing, too. I mean, I have to... The first time I saw it, I didn't think much of it, but then I'm, I'm not an enormous Jerry Lewis fan. So that's neither here nor there. Um, but I, I did think that the Joker was a very good take on the 70s type of... I mean, ever since ever since Soderbergh started, sort of started going back to the way people were filming movies in the 70s and he did it most obviously with out of sight and you can see it in oceans the oceans movie particularly oceans 11 yeah it's, and that's very much a, a 70s style movie very much uh, even though it's a remake of a movie from you know the early 60s but i i really dug that type of um retro look to it and yeah Unfortunately, I just don't think that we live in in original times, which is why all of our movies are IP now. Like everything is no remakes, reboots, sequels, prequels. Right. Yeah, it's very rare you get a movie like this. I haven't seen a movie like this that's based solely on uh, it's a character movie, and I haven't seen one of those in so long. Yeah, it's a character study. It's like if you did not have uh, Paul Giamatti, you wouldn't have a film almost. Yeah, really? No, that you're exactly right. Because he's carrying the film. So despite the fact that you're going back to the well, you are you do have like an original screenplay. You've got original dialogue. You've got an actor for the first time. It's funny like dialogue. A funny dialogue. Some funny dialogue. It's really out of out of nowhere. Some of these lines. Paul Giamatti's got some ringers in this one. His intellectual style. That kid's a certified troglodyte. Like you know, I didn't. That was it was really funny because every time he gets kind of like a little miffed, he, he'll drop something that is like multiple syllables long. That that is that is an insult, and it's really funny. What's a Nubian? Shut the fuck up. A contrast to that is the the holdovers. They have they just they call everyone like dicks or fuckwads. You know what I mean? It's like very simplistic, but there's a very clear like character like style of comedy in this movie. People in it talk. The insults are more like what I remember. Yeah. When I was growing <laughs> up. Things are kind of you know complicated now when you want to when you want to cuss somebody out. But it it did sort of remind me also of the. Of the the stylistic lingo that you would see in a movie like Mallrats. Oh yeah, you know, no, from, yeah, you're you're totally right. Coming from Brody specifically, 
So I, I was all over for that. Now, I did look at Alexander Payne's filmography, and I, I have to tell you that I, I was not impressed. <laughs> oh, what, what movies has he made? Well, the big one that he made that everybody made everybody turn their heads was Sideways, which I, I don't know if you've I seen. No, I haven't seen Sideways. And Paul Giamatti was in that. Mm-hmm. The, they hit it off. And it had it had amazing character actors. And Sandra Oh, that was her big coming out movie. Uh, she was a regular from Grey's Anatomy after that for a very long time. But it was very, it was very critical of, I would say, men and misogyny and so forth. And I was, it was all fine. That was basically about two guys who go out to the wine country for a bachelor party type of situation. Let me show you how this is done. Hold the glass up and examine the wine against the light. You're looking for color and clarity. Now, stick your nose in it. Maybe some strawberry. Oh, there's just a flutter of like a like a nutty Edom cheese. When do we drink it now? Mm. Are you chewing gum? No. Spit it out. Here's my last week of freedom. We're gonna play some golf, eat some great food, and we're gonna send you off in style. It's gonna be great. Miles, these girls wanna party with us. If they wanna drink Merlot, we're drinking Merlot. No, if anybody orders Merlot, I'm leaving. I am not drinking any Merlot! Well, I'm gonna go back to my place. Yeah. Celebrating Miles' book deal, published off. Oh, what's the title? The Day After Yesterday. Oh, you mean today? Um, yeah. Why did you tell them that my novel was being published? You have been officially depressed for like two years now. We're gonna go have some fun, Miles. Do you remember fun? finds out how I live, that I'm not a published author, any interest she has is going to evaporate real quick. You guys should stay for the weekend. No, we have to get back to the rehearsal dinner. What rehearsal dinner? All I can say is that my life is oh. pretty plain. No. You're getting married on Saturday. Just now I could have told you some story, but I didn't. I told you the truth. And all I can do. I spent three years trying to extricate myself from a relationship that was full of deception. I am not Jack. shocking things, shocking nudity, shocking attitudes, shocking dialogue and all of that. And I think that's what grabbed everybody's attention. And of course, it, it is the birth of the, the what they call now the sideways effect, which is no one had really heard of Pinot Noir, the wine, until that movie came out. Oh. And then after that, like it was, it was fucking crazy what happened to Pinot Noir after that. It was something like an 80% increase in the sales of Pinot Noir after that movie came out. And then you had entire wineries like they stopped making Merlot. They stopped making Cab. They stopped making, you know, everything. And they only made that Pinot Noir because it, the demand for it was just stupid. But that that was the big award-winning movie. The one the one that I go back to, which when I saw his filmography, I was like, oh right, he did that, which was downsizing. Oh. <laughs> 
cause of all the catastrophes we are seeing today is overpopulation. We are proud to unveil the only practical remedy to humanity's gravest problem. Are you ready, Doctor? Yes, I'm ready. Wow, that is wild, isn't it? It's just wild. Hey, everybody. And Carol, he never struck me as the kind of guy who'd go get small. Downsizing takes the pressure right off. Plus, you're really making a difference. You mean all that crap about saving the planet? Yeah. Downsizing is about saving yourself. We live like kings. We got best houses, best restaurants, Cheesecake Factory. We got three of them. In Leisureland, your $52,000 translates to $12.5 million to live on for life. <sighs> wow. Do you understand that you will undergo the permanent an irreversible medical procedure commonly known as downsizing and that your bodies will be approximately 0.0364% of their current mass and volume. Nervous? Uh, little. I'll see you on the other side. Love you. things to see. Sometimes you think we're in the normal world. And then something happens. Oh my God. And you realize we're not. Downsizing? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that movie is horribly marketed. I remember when that movie, the trailer dropped and it looked like it looked like a really fun, unique comedy, but that was not at all what the movie was. It was a political commentary with some with some ringers. That was that was a horrible market marketed movie, but I didn't think it was like bad. It was just not what I expected to see. I'll, I'll probably never watch it again. <laughs> the gr I mean, Matt Damon was pretty good, but he's great in everything. He can act in his sleep. Right. I thought that the movie was okay. That movie could have done could have been better in so many ways. Like, what a unique way. To fit the the climate crisis in a in a movie, we just need to use less. Well, how do we use less? We obviously, we'll shrink people. Like what? That's their solution to the climate change crisis. So that's that was a very unique way of looking at it. And the rest of the movie was not unique. The premise was was a hundred percent there, and the execution was not. Right, and it also kind of reminded me of, uh, as far as the commentary and the critique, like that hysterical film that came out on Netflix, what, two years ago, that Don't Look Up. This is not real. This is not real. This is not real. This isn't happening. Kate, uh, tell me this isn't really happening. I hear there's uh, something you don't like the looks of. We discovered a very large comet. Oh. Good for you. It's headed directly towards Earth. This comet is what we call a planet killer. A 
At this exact moment, I say we sit tight and assess. Sit tight and assess? Sit tight. And then assess. The sit tight part comes first, then you gotta digest it. That's the assessment period. This is the worst news in the history of humanity. He just blew us off. What are we gonna do? We have to release the information. So we just leak it. Our guests today have made a pretty big discovery in space. How big is this thing going? I can't destroy my ex-wife's house. Is that possible? <laughs> There's a 100% chance that we're all going to die. Hey. Hey. <laughs> well, the handsome astronomer can come back anytime, but the yelling lady, mm, not, so not so much. We're going to get the news out there one way or another. It's real and it's coming. FBI! Jesus Christ, you could have just called me. This comet contains $30 trillion worth of material. What do trillions of dollars matter if we're all going to die? Oh, no, this what is if we're rich? That would be terrible. discovered a comet i have a tattoo of a shooting star on my back oh that's that's terrific <laughs> this could be a complete disaster this is already a disaster <laughs> you know that girl from live tv said we're all gonna die no FBI put that bag over your head. They don't do that. The CIA does, but I made them do it. You know, I had a feeling. It's a good feeling because that is what I did and it was very funny and cool. That's how you do it. That's that's a good way of doing it, of doing a, a you know, political commentary through through a dark comedy. That I thought that movie was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Of course, the criticism from the left wing is that it was so obvious that it was sort of on your face. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. Comedy. It was in your face the entire movie. I don't think it's a criticism, you know, when you have people from the right who kind of act like that. You what know, are, some of them. What are the negative takeaways from the holdovers? From the whole negative takeaways? You mean negative messaging? Uh, not necessarily messaging, but what, what about it? That I did not, not like? Since it was like a character movie with all dialogue, I honest to God thought this was like a 90-minute movie or like an hour 45. And I checked IMDb, yeah, like once he, uh, saying spoilers in this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once he, like, dislocates his arm, I was like, how is this happening right now? I thought, like, the whole blow-up happens when he runs through the hallways. I thought this was, like, the whole the third act and all. But uh, I was shocked to see I had, like, still had, like, 40 minutes left in this movie. I'm not going to, like, complain. None of the scenes are I felt are, are wasted. I just thought there was some things you could have cut down on. But everything I felt had a point to it. And all the characters I thought shined, really. I like Paul Giamatti's character. I like the like like the kid who surprised. I thought uh, the whole movie was going to be the five the five holdovers, but no, there was just one mainly who you really come to like uh, and, uh, and sympathize for. Yeah, Argus Tully. Argus Argus Tully and Curtis's mom, who he never gets like shown. He has, he has a picture of himself, but who played the head of the kitchen? Was her yeah, character? Yeah, no, she was special. She was uh, yeah, she was pretty. She was great. Mary seen, Lamb is Mary played, played by Divine Joy Randolph, who I thought was like the true breakout star yeah. of the film. No, she. I've seen her in a lot of other stuff. Uh, she's she's in uh, a bunch of TV shows and and uh, some movies too. No, she's a great, great, terrific actress. So if you should look at what she had, what she's made, she's in those those three characters. I felt all of them were very distinct people, 
And that's what you need for a, for a character movie is distinct characters and how they play off of each other and their and their different you know strengths and weaknesses and all that. Holy shit! Like what hasn't she been in? She's got forty three credits. Yeah. Oh, she's great. I mean, it would take me all day to to read again. Oh, the United States versus Billie Holiday, which I have not seen, which I've, I've heard she was really good. Oh, she was in High Fidelity. That's what I remember her from. Oh yeah, the remake. I ran into my ex last night. So how was it? You know, seeing him. You know that scene at the end of Braveheart where they rip all his entrails out and he's like, freedom! But it's like a positive thing, you know, because he, like, inspired his people or whatever? Yeah. Like that, but without the silver lining. We've got a little bit of everything. Punk, electronic, hip-hop, rock. To quote our loud Yelp review. Decently curated cuts. Unpretentious location. Owner's a little rude. Two and a half stars. You guys have a bathroom? If I let you go, I gotta let everybody else go to the bathroom, and I can't do that. But I'm the only one here. <laughs> you know you do this after every relationship? Do what? No offense, but you tend to overthink things a little. Your ex moved back to New York. It's cool he's back in town. We were both so whatever about that Lily girl. Uh, I think I tend to think about things the exact right amount. Thank you. My Desert Island all-time top five most memorable heartbreaks are as follows. Underrated, to be honest. I liked it. I liked the remake. That's a great one. And Dolomite was my name, I think, was the was her, her breakout. But yeah, she's been in Veep. Holiday Rules. I, mean, I believe she was in um, Murder, uh, Only Murders in the Building. She uh, was, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. She played uh, the detective. Detective. Yeah, she, was, she was funny as hell on that show. <laughs> like she's running around like a gumshoe solving crimes. I'm in. No, she's, she's really good and she's really talented. So there was a, there's a mode of acting that was going on and I think that Randolph was probably the apex of that, but also with the others. And of course, this is attributed to Payne's directing, where in the one scene that keeps popping in my mind is early on in the film when Giamatti approaches Randolph and she's she's at like a almost like a lectern or something and she's doing paperwork and she's drinking a bottle of scotch. Yeah. And he's got a mug there and she shares her scotch with him. And it was just. That entire, the way that the angle, the angle was very strange. It was over his right shoulder, but he's standing 90 degrees to the way that she's sitting, and she's constantly turning right to speak to him. Now, this is a very brief moment in cinema. Like, this scene is over in maybe a minute, minute and a half. But in order to get that shot, like, you know, that takes all day to set up, and then they're, they're running lines, and they're probably doing 10 or 15 takes. But it was, it was the way that it was shot was very natural to the way people are versus versus how things are set up to shoot for a movie. You know, the movie, it's going to be face-to-face, over-the-shoulder, cut, you know, shot, reverse shot. And that's that very standard, typical way of filming was kind of ditched in the 70s. Like, they, they stopped filming like that. And they started, like, Superfly, they started taking cameras indoors. Yeah. Right? And I, I saw there was a lot of holdovers that looked like it was really in a church, really in a hallway, really in a gymnasium, really in a classroom. Just didn't look like a lot of sets. 
And I really appreciated that sort of uh, honesty. And, of course, the the fucking wood paneling. Everywhere you went, there was yeah. wood paneling. Nothing says the 1970s more like wood paneling. Like wood paneling. My house I grew up in, everyone's house on my street, all had wood paneling on the walls. And it was something you probably remember your second house. That yeah, was, the whole house is wood paneling. Right. And it was just, that was the mark of, uh, you know, I'm sorry, the bourgeoisie. That was that was the middle class, <laughs> right? Very you, upper middle you class. you seen Nice Guys? Oh, yeah. That's the full of, of wood paneling. It's everywhere. It's Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Yeah. It's, it's my husband. He's gone missing. Missing? I'm terribly worried. It's just Fred's never been gone this long before. How long has he been missing? Since the funeral. Well, I can start right away. You're a private investigator? My profession is very complicated, okay? It's nuanced. That is a lot of, that's a lot of blood. You beat people up and charge money? Sad, isn't it? How much would you charge to beat up my friend Janet? What? How much you got? 30 bucks? That's good. This conversation no is over. The mob is trying to spread its operation to Los Angeles. Somehow, my daughter Amelia is involved. Please, find her. You seen this girl? Who's in it for me? Oh, we can do this the easy way. Ow! We're currently doing it the easy way. Whatever happened to offering me 20 bucks? It's the recession. This is a high-profile case. I made the newspapers. Amelia. What the hell's going on? Oh, you know, there's a guy coming to kill us. That kind of crap. <laughs> hey, can you behave like a professional? I'm sorry. She's in danger, man. We have to do something about it. She's dead. She's not dead. She's not, She's not dead. Why do you think everyone involved with this case was dying? is not you. You're not a murderer. I just killed three people. I know, but I'm saying deep down. Look, if you come in here, you beat up on me. It's part of the job. I accept it. But what did you do? You pissed me off. Before we go solving the crime of the century, let's deal with the rotting corpse. We got a plan. Run. Yeah, that movie's awesome. <laughs> well, and, and that that's in the same vein. And I, the reason that the holdovers really hit me was this, and I think we've talked about this before off mic, about how when the everyone was taken from the 70s, well, right about... Uh, the mid nineties and early two thousands. And everyone was talking about how good the seventies were. And these were clearly people who did not remember the seventies. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I got a couple of those people around too. Right. This, I mean, the seventies sucked, you know, if you want to talk about how great the seventies were, you know, people want to talk about Led Zeppelin. They don't want to talk about 14% inflation. Oh yeah. Right. They want to talk about the Godfather, not the gas shortages, like the gas shortages or the energy crisis. Right. Or Watergate or, I mean, there's tons of stuff. Iran hostage crisis, the church commission, you know, just, it was, it was a bleak 
bleak period in American history. And the stagflation that was going on was crazy. And so when I was first experiencing this, I was actually bitter. I was like, this is this is a cash grab. This movie? Uh, well, no, the whole movement. The oh, whole, the whole movement of the whole romanticizing 19... of the 70s? Yes. Yeah. Like, this is a cash grab. This is clearly made for people. Who, who, were, who were born in 1978? Not even then. It was it was people who did not truly care. They, they looked back on the fashion and said, what were people wearing in the 70s? Because the 70s is in right now. Oh, the bell bottoms and the butterfly collars. Exactly. And we're just exactly. going to bring that back. And if you talk to anybody who wore bell bottoms, like including <laughs> both of my brothers, they fucking hated bell bottoms. They begged my mother to hem them, and she wouldn't. Yeah, all, all the polyester, I'm sure, didn't help. It was all very, very bad. Yeah. And you you wore clothes that you knew were bad. And I got that sense in the holdovers, like that that horrible puffy jacket that Tully is wearing, the brown one with, with the, the beige Vs on the, the chest. That is an excellent example of how you knew when you were purchasing something that it was horrible, that it was it, it looked aesthetically bad, but you were buying it anyway because that was the only thing that you had in the stores. There was not a whole lot of uh, quantity or quality or what have you. It was just – it just was. You had to get it. That very pale brown – Avocado Everything green, is brown, squash or, or yellow, beige, yeah, or, or gray. Not a single thing Paul Giamatti wears is like outside of that color palette. And and in that sense, what I see in the holdovers is not a not a sense of celebrating that that bleakness. <laughs> I did not see any romanticization right? in this movie. Whereas you do see that in other films. It's oh, the seventies. Particularly, I'm thinking <laughs> the, the Nice Guys does that. The Nice Guys does that, or the Brady Bunch movie, which I know that you haven't seen, and a very Brady sequel, which are huge comedies back in the nineties that celebrated life in the seventies. That seventies show does it and, exactly, and that and that is that is probably the peak of my criticism. Is that seventies show? Yes, it's like look how cool it is to be a teenager in the seventies. Star no. Wars. No, 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 no. If you talk to anyone who's a teenager in the seventies, I couldn't buy gas on Tuesdays. The Vista Cruiser. I couldn't find a car. <laughs> you know, it was. I live in a state that that bans birth control. Like it was all of these all of these problems. So I think that 70s show, as funny as it was, just that's why I never really particularly watched it. <laughs> I, I love was, that show. Because I was ideologically opposed to what they were trying to do. I wasn't opposed to the actors or the comedy, although Mila Kunis at the time was, I didn't, I found her character annoying. Jackie, Jackie yeah. Burkhart? Ja yes, but, but I was all in for the music, the opener, you know, the closer, as long as I didn't have to watch the show. And Red, you know, everybody had a dad like Red. <laughs> You know, my dad was like Red, yes. you know, and if you threw in a few ass kickings. So I, mean, I get that, but it was the apex of, of the cashing in on that entire, that entire uh, genre or the, that lifestyle. I do not see that in the holdovers. The holdovers is very much of, you know, <laughs> it sucks. Life sucks and we have to make the best of what we have. That's what I see in the, in the holdovers. Yeah. That's very much what I got from it. And it's a very strange Christmas movie, but it is a Christmas movie. It is very careful in how it walks that line of even though life is horrible for those of us who have lost someone or have a life that's decrepit, there are things that we can make of our lives that are worthwhile and are lasting. And that's what I really appreciated about the movie. No, that's great. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point to bring up. 
I liked uh I like the ending really. I thought it was a great ending. When he got fired. Well spoilers. Every character in the movie gets what they what they should. You know? You know, Paul Giamatti doesn't get what he wants. He gets what he needs though. Some time out. away out of Barton and in Syracuse where he really wants to be. Right in his his mono, what do you, what do you call monochrome. it? Monochrome. Nobody calls it that. <laughs> Nobody calls it a monochrome. Nobody in academia calls it that. That <laughs> is a highfalutin <laughs> I went to Harvard term. You know. Yeah, he just wants to spend time in what was Carthage and all that stuff. And he wouldn't shut up about the Punic Wars, which I, which I found really funny. So well, I, I like the museum piece. I like the museum piece. That was, that was hysterical. <laughs> But I, I like Paul Giamatti's fascination with history and how he wouldn't shut up about it every two seconds. It, you, there wasn't like – every like third scene, he'd say something in Latin or Greek or something. <laughs> and th- that one scene where they're at the bowling alley, when when those two guys are talking about something and he's like, actually. <laughs> and then he says something in – something quoting like like Cicero or someone, you know, it – it's like, well, man, what a dick. What a pretentious douche. And then later on, you find out, like, why. And that kind of reminded me of uh, you know, that scene in Patton when uh, his generals are coming to him and, like, complaining about, hey, we can't do this because of, you know, the Nazis or blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, remember what Alexander the Great said? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no, actually, we don't. And <laughs> we don't care. Just trying to make it through this moment. No, I really enjoyed that. Like, who in the fuck in the bowling alley is gonna? Yeah, who in the bowling alley is gonna is gonna quote Alexander the Great or Pericles or Themistocles? You know, that type of guy is kind of annoying. And at the same time, it's it's like it's so fitting to the movie because the bowling alley is just so working class. Yes, <laughs> you know, it's it's where people went as a as a low income sport. The bowling elites. <laughs> Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski uh, puts that in there. That's man. That's that's. Lower middle class. <laughs> that's lower, not lower middle class. class that's, that's, that's welfare. <laughs> that's welfare. Not a single person in that movie except Jackie Treehorn is doing well. <laughs> you can't find him in a bowling alley. Well, the Big Lebowski's doing well. The, yeah, the big one, yeah. mansion in Pasadena. I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. I know you were resistant to go see it. I was a bit surprised on how enjoyable, I guess, would be the word. It was... I was surprised that it wasn't a snooze fest. But it was a little long. It was a little long, but I you know it wasn't bad long. It wasn't pointless long. And everything had a purpose and I I enjoyed it. I thought it was some of the gags in that movie were were a bit uh, <laughs> a bit vulgar like that hooker coming in in uh coming up to a Giamatti in in Boston. I was like, "What the hell is this?" And who Do you like their- candy canes? <laughs> oh my Oh my god. <laughs> And by the way, who puts their books outside? Yeah, who, while it's that was the, my first reaction. Like it's snowing. Why are you putting books outside? And why is this this professor here? If no one puts good books outside in the snow, old people will love it. I was definitely the youngest person in there by like thirty years. Well, what do you, what was the what was the percentage of the audience was i mean oh dude it was like 80 90 percent oh you mean sold out yeah oh dude there was like maybe four seats not not taken it was pretty packed really yeah it was but once again it was just like a bunch of old people who remember the 70s like old not like you i mean i'm talking like 70s yeah like or 60s 70s people well and i think it may be catering to that oh no it definitely is and that's what they're they're he's probably banking on his that demographic that's a pretty narrow demographic to make a movie for. 
Well, you know, it's the silent majority. <laughs> so. Thanks for hanging out with Luke and I as we discuss the holdovers. You can find me, my books, and my blog at www.thatdylandavis.com. I'm also on threads. I'm Dylan Davis, and we'll see you next time on Odo Island.
a kid in the candy shop. He truly loves this, truly. And he's giddy, and sometimes in between takes, he'll be dancing and smiling or clapping his hands, like, you know what I mean, a little kid. That's very humbling because this can be a very hard job. It's a marathon. It's a marathon versus a sprint. And what um, invigorates me, what continues to motivate me is that this is someone who's been doing it for as long as he has and he still has that childlike passion.